Chasing Quicksilver by Shannon Douglas. Chapter 5 Explorer Mode. In the last chapter, we encountered several different minds the mind of the fishers, the mind of the farmers, and the mind of the outsiders. Through this gringo mind, we learned that the engineer sees and analyzes the world with different lenses than the geologist does. The artist has a different view and experience than the accountant. We also saw an example of how group minds can become overly invested in their own identities and deeply entrenched in us-versus-them thinking. And as a consequence of this kind of tribal thinking, rumbles can erupt. When we're exploring the nature of consciousness, we must remain open to considering it from as many perspectives as we can. To understand and analyze it with greater clarity, it's important to look deeper into the nature and structure of the soul as we understand it from the languages of mythology and story. And we also need to engage with our current scientific understanding of psychology, evolutionary biology, and neuroscience. It's important to clarify when I'm talking about consciousness that I'm talking about it from the larger orders of psyche and not from what many people think of when they hear the word consciousness. Most Western people, particularly scientific minds, think of consciousness as our human capacity for reflexive self-awareness. Consciousness from this frame, or viewed from this mind, is our awake and aware self. This gives rise to the scientific problem known as the mind-body conundrum, which for 400 years has been an intractable question to material philosophers. The awakened aware self, however, is only a tiny sliver of our personal consciousness. In another way, we could say that the conscious self, the ego identity, is part of a field of consciousness which includes our unconscious and our superconscious selves. Our unconscious is the domain of our memories and our dreams. It's the source of our feelings, our impulses, and our biological processes and drives. Our superconscious is the set of structures and potentialities into which we grow. The superconsciousness of a caterpillar is the potentiality of a butterfly. The superconsciousness of an infant exploring its sensate world by putting its feet in its mouth or eating dirt is a child who has developed motor skills to crawl and to walk and to run. We can talk about this in terms of genetic potential or psychological development or physical maturation. The force that grows us may be coded into our genes, and it may also be more fundamental than that. This three-part structure is known in comparative religion as the axis mundi, or center of the world. This axis mundi is coded into mythology from around the world. It is the world below, the world of men in the middle, and the world of the heavens above. The gods from above have an influence on our lives. We avoid the fetid fatbergs and maze monsters of the world below as much as we can, and we cope as well as possible in this material world in the middle, balancing this drive for growth with the things that hold us back. We can also see the same growth in evolutionary force which propels inference from crawlers to walkers to runners work upon groups in society. We can see this on a global scale when we talk about the developing world. What do we mean by this term? that societies are evolving and growing in complexity. We can see that our society has radically advanced in the last decade, the last century, and the last millennia. Through history, human beings seem to produce patterns of mind within a human group which go against the grain. 
we see a constant expression of outsider mind emerging and either advancing societies or being eliminated by the group. These are people like Isaac Newton, Charles Darwin, and Giordano Bruno, each advancing science and civilization in their own ways. When these people who seem to express this pattern of outsider mind put forward their ideas or their claims, the society or group which they live in can respond in only one of a few ways. In the case of Newton, society exalted him. In the case of Bruno, we killed him. And in the case of Darwin, the scientific mind lionizes him and the religious mind reviles him. The mind which questions the existing frameworks and helps people within the community to see beyond the limiting patterns of their existence is an evolutionary and rudimentary psychic force. In primitive society, the person within the tribe which expressed this energy was the shaman or the medicine person, which traditionally was the role within the community that mediated between the material world and the spirit world. He or she recurs in mythology and literature as a clown, a trickster, and a fool. The currents of the intense curiosity associated with this character were reflected in the original forces of the Greek muses. The muses are a mythological memory of the spirits of technological, artistic, philosophical, and spiritual exploration and innovation, which inspire the great and small advancements of the human spirit. The shamanic mind that navigates between this world and the spirit world perceives consciousness as the pervasive energy that flows through and animates all living things. It sees that consciousness flows in certain fundamental patterns through the fabric of reality, and over the millennia, mystics, philosophers, and more recently scientists have attempted to put words to these currents which flow through our existence. The philosopher and mystic from ancient Greece, Plato, was one such shamanic mind. To him, these patterns existed in a non-material plane that he called the domain of forms. The modern philosopher and mystic Carl Gustav Jung called these patterns archetypes, which is a word that he borrowed from Greek. It means model, or original pattern, or, like Plato described, first form. Descriptions of the first forms are found in the common themes of the mythic stories that we remember from cultures all over the world. Fundamentally, they begin with the accounts and stories of creation from all over, and are even understood now in the language of cognitive science and neuroscience. The universe that we experience is said to be the product of the cosmic wedding, birthed from the two primordial forces of existence, the cosmic opposites, light and darkness, male and female, up and down, left and right. Existence itself in the mythologies of the world is described first as the division of opposites, like when God, in the beginning, created heaven and earth. This primal duality is depicted in the Chinese symbol of the yin and yang, eternally swirling in relationship to each other. The interaction and relationship between these opposites then gave birth to the rest of creation. This is often depicted as the marriage and copulation of the great father of sky or heaven and the great mother, primordial matter or the earth. All over the world we have accounts of creation describing the gods or the secondary forms of existence, being the product of the union of god and goddess. In Greek mythology, Uranus and Gaia gave birth to the Titans, which represent the primal patterns of existence, as the Greeks saw them. Things like time, memory, natural law, the rivers, the oceans, and many others. 
Scholars of religion call this sacred marriage the Hieros Gamos. It's said in traditions all over the world that the interaction of pattern and matter, or order and chaos, gave rise to the level of creation in which we exist. The original state that gave rise to the world of opposites is consciousness. This is the raw, formless essence of what we know through our exploration so far as chi, prana, spiritus, numa, and psyche. The Taoists called this fundamental essence the mother of the ten thousand things, the infinite source of existence. This is what physicists describe in analogous terms as the Big Bang, the moment in the primordial past when the material universe emerged from nothingness. When we use symbols to represent the origins of the universe, regardless if they're rooted in the ancient traditions of the Hebrews, the Norse, the Greeks, or if they're rooted in the language of science, the archetype is the same. Nothingness gave rise to somethingness, and then from somethingness, the interactions of the patterns of energy and archetypal or primal forces and substances gave rise to creation as we know it. Hydrogen gave rise to helium, which eventually gave rise to oxygen, carbon, and silicon. A new idea is emerging in the field of evolutionary biology that seems to support the existence of the shamanic mind within nature and within human society. The idea is that Biological evolution happened with the help of a natural exploratory mechanism rooted in genetics. This comes from the work of Brett Weinstein, a leading thinker in evolutionary biology, who's appeared on stage with Richard Dawkins as well as on a wide range of podcasts speaking about science and social issues. Weinstein argues against the idea of what we know as natural selection, this is the theory that says that genetic mutation and evolution is the result of random gene mutations and the subsequent adaptive breeding of those mutations. He believes that biological organisms, and by extension, whole species or groups of animals, possess something that he calls explorer modes, and this results in greater evolutionary fitness. These explorer modes seem to imply that a certain proportion of individuals within a species or that a species in response to certain environmental conditions will seek novelty as an evolutionary strategy to access those new and more favorable ecological niches might be in a more hospitable climate, in an ecosystem with more abundant resources. They might be on land instead of in water, or in air instead of on the ground. He illustrates this with an example of salmon spawning. There are a very small number of species of salmon on the west coast of North America. Almost all salmon of any of those species return to the exact same stream or river tributary that they were born in. This is one of the miracles of nature. It's apparent, however, that a few salmon don't return to the same stream to spawn. And this would account for the small number of salmon species distributed through many different watersheds and thousands of tributaries all along the west coast. He argues that this isn't a random walk, but an evolutionary feature of life, a type of biological curiosity that allows species to discover new evolutionary niches within or lateral to their environment. The explorers of the gene pool are the risk takers, and the mechanism for this is still contested, but it seems to show parallels in other areas of biological behavior, including 
the expansion of human territory, resources, and technology. The voices of true shamanic, mystical, explorer minds return over and over through history to remind us of the nature of reality and our relationship to it through the language, technology, and culture of the times. He or she stands as a minority outside of culture and outside of time and says over and over that raw consciousness begets the primordial forms and archetypes, and that these patterns are foundational to existence. They do this knowing that the minds of their age may adapt to their discoveries or reject them. I'll define consciousness simply. Consciousness is an exploratory process of life to sense, evaluate, and respond to stimulus in its environment. To seek out, to sense, and to obtain energy sources or food. To seek out and to sense or respond to reproductive opportunities, sex, and... It's the ability of life to sense and respond to threats to its existence. Self-preservation. Consciousness is an exploratory process of sensing the environment, evaluating it for opportunities and responding to threats. Can I eat it? Can I mate with it? Or will it kill me? These are the channels, structures, and relationships at their most fundamental levels through which living attention or the life-animating force expresses itself. This life-animating force or energy has many names, as we already know. Chi, orgone, egoic or odic force, prana, ki, and even bioenergy. References to it, as we know, are found globally and universally across time and culture. It's the root meaning of the word psyche, the soul or the breath of life. An example of the expression of the drivers of consciousness can be found in any living single-celled organism. But these forces scale through what some have called the great chain of being to express themselves in complex societies and in superconscious organisms. The single cell operates just like any larger organism or collective consciousness. It perceives the parts of its environment that are relevant to its survival. It seeks out and draws in nutrients and energy that it needs to fuel its biological processes. It produces waste. It goes through cycles of maturation and in the right conditions, which it will also seek out. It will reproduce. It has sensory faculties that allow it to detect threats to its existence and has the capacity to respond to those threats by fighting or defending itself or by fleeing or freezing. It will seek out safety and security and act in response to hostile threats or environments. It has specific receptors and sensing systems in the cell walls that interface with the environment in alignment with its drives, which are the same drives of consciousness itself. The cell has a sensory field, which is the area surrounding it to which its senses can extend, like an aura. The cell can take actions towards stimulus and react towards threats. Since consciousness is the ability to be aware at the simplest sensate levels and to respond based on that awareness, a single cell, therefore, animated by the explorer function, is the most basic unit of consciousness. Its purpose is to explore, and this drive fuels the evolutionary fire of all life to evolve and expand in orders of increasing complexity. It can be said that consciousness is a curiosity at the nexus point of sensation and the environment. 
It's the interference pattern between the sensed and the sensor, with a set of imperatives. This sensation then propels an organism towards energy and reproductive opportunity, and away from threats to its existence. Consciousness is a field of living attention, interacting with its environment. Single-celled organisms, as we know from evolutionary biology, eventually conglomerate into cooperative, multicellular colonies, perhaps as a random mutation or perhaps as an expression of this fundamental exploratory function of life. Is it better to do this on my own or is collaborating with other organisms like myself a more successful path. As these cells discovered that they could cooperate around the drives of consciousness, they gradually formed groups at higher and higher orders of complexity and cooperation. They increased in complexity and in their level of cooperation with every evolutionary iteration, all the while exploring, channeling living attention through their sensory systems and structures in order to serve the drives of life itself, to sense and explore opportunities in the environment. Can I eat it? Can I mate with it? Is it a threat to me? When a flower or plant opens its blossoms and turns its petals or its leaves towards the sun, this is an expression of consciousness. It's a simple example of the sensation of the environment and the response to those stimuli by collections of several different types of specialized cells, all working in cooperation. Eventually, organisms evolved complex sense organs like eyes and ears to allow for even more complex coordinated systems and drives. The cells formed together into specialized collectives of muscle, bone, and tissue for mutual benefit. In order to process information and to be able to coordinate these multi-system vehicles of consciousness, we evolved a nervous system with visual, auditory, and sense organs that feed information into it. These connected sensory systems collectively scan the environment, exploring for opportunities and avoiding threats. Our nervous system communicates with all the other specialized cells and tissues within our bodies, which forms not a single consciousness, but a cooperative field of consciousness belonging to billions of cells with shared drives and a common purpose. Sensory organs like eyes and ears and skin connected to central nervous systems allow the collective consciousness of the group of cells that is our heart to know when to beat faster and when to pump more blood. It allows our muscles to know when to expand and contract, and it allows the totality of our being to determine if it's safe to slow down and to rest and sleep and dream. Life along the way also evolved the superorganism with a superconscious communication system. Insect colonies are good examples of this. Instead of being a collection of organs and tissues and bones with different roles and functions within a single bag of skin, the many thousands of termites, ants, and bees within a single colony operate as a single organism. At an individual level, they are collections of biological processes, organs, and tissues. But at the collective level, they have different classes within their colonies that perform unique functions around a set of drives principles and structures common to them all. Their sensory systems are distributed among the many individual insects within their colonies. Their collective nervous system, instead of being connected neural pathways constellated physically around the, the connected biology of an individual human being, is a field of pheromone signals that inform the collective organism, the colony, about the issues related to the drives of consciousness 
they share as they explore their environment. Is this a source of energy? Is it a threat? Is it relevant to reproduction? There's only a few specific roles within a bee colony. Each role expresses functions within the collective single organism of the colony, like an organ does within a single mammal. We could call these the archetypes of the consciousness of bees. The worker bee, the nursing bee, and the queen bee, all collectively moving towards energy and avoiding threats while reproducing the species in a coordinated single unit of collective or distributed consciousness. These types of structures and patterns of collective consciousness extend further and further. Leafcutter ants are symbiotic organisms that co-evolved with a species of fungi over a period of more than 30 million years. The leafcutter ants provide their pet fungi with a specific nutrient and care that it needs to live, that only the ants can provide. And the fungi provides the ants with a specific byproduct that only the fungi can produce for them. The ants are sensitive to the biochemical processes of the fungi, and the fungi is sensitive to the biochemical needs of the ants. A symbiotic relationship like this is a single system of multi-species distributed consciousness scanning and exploring its environment while moving towards energy, perpetuating the species, and managing and responding to threats. We can extrapolate from these processes and structures under the definition of consciousness I've put forward to that of early tribal man. The psychic field of the survival unit, the tribe, is that of a single organism. And like a hive of bees, there are specialized rules within it for mutually dependent survival. It has a complex collection of structures and patterns of consciousness within it, or archetypes. The tribe's consciousness doesn't have a connective nervous system like a single organism has, nor does it have a limited number of pheromone signals like a bee or an ant colony does. The tribe's consciousness has a system of language that evolved from much older and deeper patterns and roles. Language and communication are part of the psychic structures of the collective consciousness of the tribe. A boy child, for example, gathering mussels and abalone from the seashore while he's exploring his territory and practicing his skills at weir-making and spear-throwing, detects a significant threat approaching the village. Language allows him to create specific vocalizations that alert the collective consciousness to the threat, and this mobilizes the warriors of the tribal unit. The breeding females pull back from the potential threat to defend the vulnerable young, and the survival unit engages in a fight-or-flight response pattern. The vocalizations of the boy child act like the signaling pheromones expressed within colonies of bees and ants, and they orient the consciousness of the community towards either attacking the threat or retreating from it. The survival roles within the primitive tribal community, or any community, are expressions of archetypal patterns which evolved in the field of consciousness, just like organs in a single organism did. They're unique but complementary structures and patterns that support the fundamental drives of consciousness of the single organism or of the psychic field of the collective consciousness itself. Instead of the worker bee, the nursing bee, and the queen, the archetypes of bees, pack animals like humans evolved more and more complex role patterns, which channel through individual fields of consciousness. 
In early human survival groups, these role patterns included the alpha and beta males, the breeding females, the hunters, the foragers, the warriors, the knowledge keepers, and the shaman. In the modern world, they're the engineer, the fisher, the farmer, the artist, the lawyer, and the accountant. These are patterns within the greater field of human consciousness. They're all guided by the fundamental imperatives of consciousness itself, which moves the collective consciousness of our society towards the resources and away from threats while seeking reproductive and survival opportunities. The shamanic mind or the artistic mind or the scientific mind doesn't just want to understand the currents and structures and patterns of consciousness that exist. The shaman is the explorer. He or she looks to greater and greater patterns of complexity in the psychic field and seeks to directly experience the nature of existence itself. But the explorer has enemies. Forces and archetypes within a single psychic field, for example, within the field of the contemporary religious mind, seek to protect the integrity of their own field of consciousness. A person who stands outside the heuristics of faith, someone who questions the archetypes of the collective religious psyche, becomes a threat to the integrity of the psychic field of the religious mind. The religious Meta-consciousness then mobilizes energy through language to quell the threats, just like an individual animal metabolism mobilizes antibodies against a virus. As a consequence of this, the evolution of consciousness, which we as human beings seem to be the vanguard of so far on this planet, has always come from the outsider archetype. It has come from the adaptive consciousness taking risks and entering new territories. It's the mind that takes big risks in order to achieve big payoffs. In human society, it, it has to be capable of standing in spite of the forces aligned against it. In the case of the early human tribal mind who were prone to war led by murderous warlords, the shamanic explorer mind established a moral code and a rule of law. At that stage of evolution, it conceived of and spread the ideas, beliefs, and practices that brought an end to the age of the warlord. These ideas were completely foreign to the values of tribal mankind and were an enemy to the honor cultures of the warlords who led them. Those codes came from the likes of Moses and Hammurabi and Confucius, Ashoka and Jesus, all of whom stood as psychic explorers outside of the cultures of their times to move human consciousness beyond the center of gravity into new territory. Out of this shamanic-led revolution came the age of the religious mind. Religion was a coherent set of rules and structures and language patterns which allowed human beings to evolve past our survival group limitations. A culture operating as a single consciousness at the scale of cooperative kingdoms and empires instead of units of 50 to 150 people. It was always the shamanic mind that catalyzed these shifts through the ages of humanity. It was the gringo mind, the rebellious mind, the apostatic mind, and the heretical mind. It was the one that had to stand and had the capacity to stand outside the collective psyche of the times, to see independently, to be able to have a curiosity and a vision and a drive not accessible to most of humanity, which moved us forward. At various times we've known this archetype as the fool, the heretic, the visionary, the mystic, the prophet, and the sage, 
call it what you will, this mind is the evolutionary aspect of our consciousness, not only of humanity, but of consciousness itself. It's the aspect of consciousness that explores and novelly adapts psychic fields to threats, offers new and more consistent means of obtaining energy and food, and ensures successful reproduction and the survival of the species.